0: Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on August 7th, Lord's Day service. text this morning is the book of Ephesians, beginning in chapter 6 with verse 4, and then we're going to go back and read a few verses from chapter 4. Ephesians 4, excuse me, Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 4, and fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 20, And then chapter five, verses one and two, therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Let us pray. Our father, we thank you for the work of our savior. We thank you for his example for what he accomplished for us as the God-man. We thank you for teaching us, for giving us your spirit. Now may the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord our rock and our redeemer, amen. What do kids need most from their parents? Many parents, especially in our circles, want to give their kids the education they never had. Whether that's a classical education, a Christian worldview, or something else, parents think about the information they present, and they think about how they present it. But are the facts that we present or the way we package those facts, the most important thing we give to our kids. Let me ask this way. If the Word never became flesh, would there be any salvation? If all we had were promises, but never one who embodied the promises, would we have hope for anything? Our salvation is tied to a man, Jesus, and a marriage with the church. Unless he came and embodied all scripture teaches, again, we would have no hope. Jesus not only taught his people, he manifested the teaching the promises, and the hope of God's word. He gave himself to them, but his life was lived perfectly unto his father. And that is our calling as parents to our children. Children were created to imitate. They are natural imitators and you are the pattern they will most likely imitate unless you banish them elsewhere I used to tell my students your kids will be just like you and with about 15% more one young man actually started to cry when I told him that (laughs) once but parents Your example teaches your kids how to deal with difficulty, how to respond when someone hurts you, how to seek forgiveness and how to confess sin. If they don't see this from you, they're not going to learn it the way that they should. They learn from you what humility looks like, how detestable your pet sins really are and how to receive correction. Yes, you do teach your children with your words. But your life is the most powerful tutor your kids have. As C.S. Lewis once said in reference to his stepsons, quote, I so easily meddle and gas when all the time what they what will really influence them for good or ill is not anything I say or do, but what I am." End quote. Remember that that, that phrase paideia, that word paideia from Ephesians 6, 4. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Paideia is not a system. It's not a curriculum or a worldview. It's not a paint-by-numbers kit where you break out the color by, you know, the, the, the color by number sheet with Bible verses on it and say, as long as you intellectually fill in everything, you, will t- you too will live godly. Yes, that's part of it and I'm not ne- neglecting that. But pidea is the formation of ourselves and our children in the culture of God's new creation. It is both being and becoming disciples of Christ to the point that we can't separate our Christian identity from anything else. We want our children to be fruitful members of God's kingdom. We want them to be faithful to him long after we're gone. We want these little trees and vines, these olive plants around our table to grow, but for them to grow, they need the strong, virtuous and fruitful shadow of parents. They need parents who protect them and who guide them, who show what these things are. Your kids don't need probably more information they need God's word enfleshed before them. They need an example worth following. I don't mean you have to live perfectly, that's impossible. But they need you to lay down your life as a pattern to them. They need your life given Poured out as a pattern for their lives. In his book, The Hidden Life of Trees, forester Peter Wallabin writes about how trees are healthiest when they grow in forests, where parent trees give off seeds that result in young saplings that grow. And then these saplings actually, in his research, he discovered they draw health from their parent trees. So the young trees, they exchange nourishment through the root systems with those young trees that came from them. Healthy trees help young trees to grow. This adds new light to passages like Psalm 1 verses 1 through 3 which present the picture of a healthy disciple. You know, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, whose fruit brings forth in its season, whose leaf will not wither, and whatever he does prospers. The healthy tree is one who draws from the wisdom of the Torah, from God's word, not just from the law. David is not saying a good disciple knows all the thou shalt nots and he shall nots all of them. That's not the beginning. It's taking it in, it's receiving it, it's taking it like a tree does water and, and turning the combination of water and sunlight into nourishment, but not just for itself, but for others. Unlike the faithless one in Psalm 1 who presses more and more into poisonous sources. The blessed man delights in the wisdom of God. He yields fruit, remains strong in drought, and his work prospers. But it doesn't stop with Psalm 1. There is a psalm that actually picks up a lot of the language of Psalm 1, and that is, one that we are all familiar with, one that we sing on a regular basis, Psalm 128. In Psalm 128, we read, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways, When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine, and your children olive plants around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Note the similarity in the language between Psalm 1 and Psalm 128. He talks about being blessed, about walking in. God's commands about having prosperity that results from walking in the commands. But Psalm 128 continues to include the man's wife who is a fruitful vine and his children who are olive plants. Husbands, paideia isn't just about you being strong. Sometimes we as husbands, especially in, in, in our circles, we, that we emphasize knowing and reading books and things like that. We think, the most important thing for my family is for me to read another book on theology. That will make my family fruitful. First question, do you read, do, do you embody the theology that you have read already? before reading one more book. Look, I love reading books, okay? So I'm not condemning the practice. I commend it, but the life that comes behind the book should be one that people, when you are finished, people say, your, your kids especially, and your wife says, I want this. What he has taken from this is something I want as well. So paideia is not just about you being strong, men, but it's about making your wife fruitful. It's about taking what you have and passing it on. Now, of course, when we read Psalm 128 and we see your wife will be like a fruitful vine, we normally jump to the more tangible ways of application. We think, well, how do we become more fruitful? Have more kids. But Psalm 128 is about much more than just having kids. Having many children is great. It's a blessing. But having lots more kids is no more noble than the greatest pagans have done for thousands of years. It's only in very recent times when people thought having kids is not something I want to do. You look throughout world history, you see great men who did not embrace the Jewish or Christian faith who had many, many children. So you have many, many children. Great. You are getting now to the point where Some of the the good folks in Rome and, and Greece were there as well. So if just having kids is not enough, what else does it require? The difference is nurturing those children and nurturing your wife in the atmosphere of the new creation. That's the difference. Before a plant can be fruitful, it must be strong and healthy. A healthy forest results from trees that pollinate, that share nourishment, and even share water. The most healthy homes come when parents are not only individually healthy, but are mutually building, encouraging, and serving one another. Mom and dad, your kids need to see you laying down your lives for each other, not just for them. They need to see you serving one another in your calling, giving of yourself joyfully. So where do we learn how to do this? Well, we are also imitators. We never outgrow that. And Paul in Ephesians says, we have the one to imitate. And that is is Christ himself. Ephesians 4, 20 through 24, Paul points to the example of Christ as a pattern for disciples. Verse 20, he said, you have not so learned Christ. So you did not learn these things. And he was previously discussing works of Christ ungodliness he said you did not you've not so learned Christ if indeed you have heard and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus some people say that Jesus came as a great teacher you can find you can still find remnants of that people say Jesus was a great teacher and he was but there have been a lot of great teachers he was not only a great teacher if he was a great teacher and that's it There's no point in us being here. He is God in the flesh. He took everything, the eternal wisdom of God, and he displayed it for the world. And finally, he ended by giving himself in death. He is a pattern for us. Verse 24, Of Ephesians 4 and that you put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness who is the new man that we are to put on what is this this form this this ideal that we are to embrace is it just kind of taking everything that that we learn from the Old Testament and saying well I have to do this and I have to do that no the new man is is already embodied it's Jesus Paul says elsewhere, put on Christ. And then in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Paul directly calls us to walk in love as an imitator of Christ. Verse 1, be imitators of God as dear children. But then he goes on to note in the next verse, Jesus' sacrifice. He calls it, in the last phrase of verse 2, he calls it a sweet-smelling savor. Now, this is a reference to the Old Testament sacrificial system. When you have a sacrifice, they would cook the sacrifice, and it would smell good. We know this. Do you like the smell of steak being grilled, especially when it's yours? When you know this steak is going to be on my plate in about 30 minutes... And you feel like breaking into doxology right then and there. Or when when pot roast is coming out of the oven and it's been seasoned perfectly and it is falling off. You don't need a knife. Who cares about a knife? You can take a fork and cut right through it and it melts in your mouth. And I better stop right there because I want you to continue thinking about what God's word is saying. Yes, we love these smells. It is pleasing, it's delightful, but we like it not just because it's a great smell, but we know nourishment is right around the corner. It's the smell of forthcoming health, of strength. The aroma of dad and mom dying to themselves, pursuing Christ and pursuing the good of one another and their kids, fills your home with a life-giving aroma. It makes your home a place where your kids want to be. When the smell of mutual sacrifice abounds, it is a sweet-smelling savor. You want to be like the apple tree. The apple tree has sweet-smelling blossoms that are a harbinger of the luscious fruit that's coming. Don't be like the Bradford pear, whose blossoms look nice, but they smell like death, and they yield no fruit. Sweet aromas in the home demonstrate that Christ reigns there. So how do we become a fruitful, sweet smelling tree? And by the way, just so you know, there's, there's a lot in scripture about trees and their similarity, how, how people are equated to trees. Something Amanda and I have been looking at and studying and talking about this recently. It's everywhere. So how do we become these sweet smelling trees, these fruitful trees? Well, Jesus tells us, John 15, we abide in the vine. It means receiving, and for for us to grow, to become healthy in this way, we receive the milk of the word. We receive correction through whomever he sends. We put away the sins and habits that harm us and we yield to God's unpleasant but necessary pruning work. So these things we've read in Ephesians in chapter 4 and chapter 5, Paul doesn't just make an abrupt switch. He doesn't say, I've talked about the individual life, now let me talk to you about marriage and just go off on, you know, talking. No, it, it goes together. It follows a path. The language of Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 23, where he talks to husbands and wives, that isn't just about romance. That is a meditation. Verses 22 through 33 is a meditation on the mystery of marital love. But part of that love is demonstrated through the discipline God brings through your spouse. When the husband learns to love his wife, even when she's unlovable. And the wife learns to honor and obey his husband, even when he is not living in a way that calls forth her honor. Now I know I've talked a lot to married couples. So what does this mean for you if you're single? Well, first of all, God has not forgotten you if you submit to him, he will put people in your life to pollinate you, to prune you, and to work in you. So don't worry. If you pray for God to work in you, and you, are, you actually mean the prayer, and sometimes if you pray it, and even if you don't mean it, he's going to send it because he loves you. Don't wait until marriage. Don't say, I'm going to hold off on all this sanctification stuff until I get married. I'm going to wait for all these good promises when I, to when I get married, that's too. That's t- waiting too long. Don't do that. Waiting for sanct- your sanctification until marriage is a terrible idea. So put yourself now in the path of wisdom. Walk in the path that will challenge, teach and sharpen you. Well then, after pursuing the discipline of a healthy soul for yourself, you are also called to do the same For others, husbands, wives, this is your calling, and kids as well. God uses you, kids, in the lives of your siblings and in your parents, but you have to be careful because sometimes we think, well, he's not sharing his toy, so I'm going to help him be more like Jesus, and I'm going to help him share. That's not what we're talking about. The times when God will use you the most is when you are simply trying to obey God and your parents. That's when he uses you the most. That's the most important thing you can do right now is learn obedience with a submissive heart. Husbands, you have a role in making your wife fruitful. You are called to nourish. Care for, strengthen, lead, teach, wash, and uphold your wife. Dwell with your wife according to knowledge, as Peter says, listening to and learning from her. Now, I know for some wives, they hear this and you say to yourself, certainly you wouldn't elbow your husband, but you say to yourself, my husband's not doing this. Maybe that's true, maybe he's not. So you can help him in this by praying for him and then by honoring him even though you don't feel like it. That goes much further in causing him to walk in the Lord's way than any amount of complaint does. Or, on the other hand, maybe your husband is doing those things, or maybe he's trying to do them, but it's just not the way you want him to. We all like to serve people, but sometimes we like to serve in our way, not in the way that's actually best. So, wives, when your husband is trying to lead, are you receiving his leadership? Or... Do you resist, criticize, or ignore it? So, whatever he does, encourage him in that. Talk with him, pray for him, honor him. This is spiritual pollination. When we are walking with one another, when we are giving of ourselves, when we're trying to to, to be a, a faithful disciple, not worrying about, well, is this, I'll only give as far as this other person gives, but if but I'm going to give, and if he won't give, or if she won't give, I'm done. I go this far and no more, because that's what Jesus did, right? Not at all. He poured himself out, absolutely, left nothing behind. Let's be imitators of Christ. We portray Christ and His bride, parents, to our children and to the world. So let me ask you, how lovely is the picture you are presenting? Saints of God, our salvation came through the Word made flesh. As imitators of Christ, we are called to receive His Word, to adorn it before God To adorn it also before our spouse, our children, our grandchildren, and our friends and neighbors. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. You can look at your past and say, there's no way anybody would follow me at this point. There's no, I I can't do it. I've got too much behind. No, that's a lie. You can start wherever God has you right now. You don't have to worry about catching up for all the lost years. That's that's God's work. You take the next step before you. Whatever the next step of obedience is, that's all he calls you to right now. Wherever you are, God's grace is sufficient for you in this moment to do what he says to do. You don't have to worry about anybody else's response. Just be faithful. Give your children an example worth dying for. Let your life be a testimony to the salvation of God. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at Trinity Reformed That's Trinity Reformed K I R K.com.